1: listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor Scott
2: Show. Great to be with you today as we are each and every day. The phone number if you want to join the conversation is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Got holidays coming around. And for a lot of us, that means getting together with family and getting together with our grandparents. Or if you're a grandparent, maybe you're getting together with your grandkids. And, you know, for some of us, that is a pretty good, well established relationship. But for a lot of us, it can be complicated. Sometimes it's complicated because there's a difference in in faith or there's a difference, uh, you know, the family dynamics that are involved. Sometimes it's just difficult generationally because uh, people can be so different. Of course, uh, grandkids and people can be uh, different. Different, in different eras. And with me to talk about this is Larry Fowler. Larry is the author of a brand new book called My Wish for All Wishes, and he is the founder of an organization called the Legacy Coalition, which is Grandparent Ministry. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show, Larry. How are you?
3: Great to be with you, Scott.
2: It's great to have you on. You know, this is such a uh, incredible topic, I think, because we don't talk a lot about, you know, I think, as believers or even in the culture very much, even outside of the church about what it means and how important it is to have a relationship with your grandparents if you can. You know, sometimes our grandparents have passed on or there's reasons, um, but this I think is important to a whole lot of people.
3: Well, I, I'm i of course in the grandparent mode now. I've been there for a while, and for me it's really significant. The older I get, the more I care about my family and about the relationships I have with them. And one of the things that drives me so very, very much is I want them in heaven with me. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, cl- the closer I get, the more that's uh, important to me. And um, and the Bible talks a lot about family, and usually the, the biblical view of a family unit includes grandparents. It's not just a nuclear family, but grandparents are part of the picture from a biblical perspective.
2: That's right. It's actually kind of unusual, historically speaking, that we might live in different places. Uh, than our grandparents, even different homes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Larry, how many grandkids do you have? I have seven. Seven grandkids. And how old are they? They are eight
3: to 28.
2: Eight to 28. (laughs) That's a wide range of people and a lot of gifts.
3: Yeah. Yeah. My daughter has an older set. They are all young adults. And my son has a younger set. My daughter married early, my son married later. And so that's why we have two sets.
2: Well, that works out pretty well, pretty well. What's your favorite thing about getting together with your grandkids at, uh, in the holidays?
3: Well, uh, I, the, the favorite thing is the opportunity to really have, uh, significant conversations with them. I, I just love that. That's, uh, the time to really focus on relationships and build relationships. So to me, that's more important than opening presents.
2: Yeah. You know, that matters a whole lot. My my uh, grandmother, I didn't have, my grandfathers passed away before I was born. One passed away right after I was born and the other a few years before I was born. My One of my grandmothers, she used to come to the house and it was amazing. She had one of those old big Cadillacs, right, that was the oh, size exactly. of the Queen Mary, and uh, you can put, you know, your Toyota Corolla would fit in her trunk, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and she, and I remember this old, uh, you know, Cadillac Fleetwood or something. You hit the button, boom, and the trunk would open up and it was huge. And she might have 12 gifts in there for me and my sister. And we'd bring them all in the house and we thought it was really great. And then we'd open them and 11 of the 12 would be underwear and socks. Sure. You know, sure. And as a, as a kid that was irritating because you wanted Legos or something. Um but as an adult I realized my parents couldn't afford the underwear and socks and it was a great gift for my parents. You know, sure. they needed it, I needed it. I didn't get it at the time. Uh but I have special memories with my my grandmothers uh because of that kind of thing. You know, a lot of people listening would like to have that kind of connection, both relationally and spiritually. And that's a big part of uh, what you're about. And I want to invite people to call if uh, you're thinking of maybe you're getting together with your grandparents or maybe you're you're getting together with your grandkids coming up this uh, Christmas or New Year's. And maybe you you want to talk about how to build a relationship. Larry's the expert at this, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can join our conversation now. So, Larry, you know, when you think about this, what are some of the anxieties that grandparents might have coming into the holidays uh, where they're going to go see their grandkids?
3: Well, uh, one of one of the things, I, I categorize not the best christmas times in three ways you know we we would love to have it when all the relationships are great and we can really talk about the real meaning of christmas but that's not often the case so i categorize them in three ways there are some families where christmas really is sour Hmm. you know the relationships are tense they're not what they should be and and so uh, that ends up being a time that's almost dreaded by families rather than looking forward to it. The second one is when Christmas is secular, what do you do? Give your grandparent when, when maybe your kids just want it all about Santa or all about gifts and, and the, the spiritual meaning of Christmas is pushed to the side. And, and then the last one is when Christmas is staled, what happens when you're, uh, from the grandparent perspective, your older grandkids become teenagers, and, and maybe they've heard the Christmas story so many times, and they really kind of don't want to be bothered with that anymore. What mm. what can you do? So those are three areas that I try to address.
2: You know, for people who are are listening, and this happens, I think, in our culture in a way, and it certainly happens in church, that in a church there's kids' ministry. And you have a major kids ministry and Christmas is huge for that, obviously. But so was just generally speaking, your church probably has a kids ministry or you ought to have one and it will help grow your church and you get families and uh, church begins to get very healthy with that. And you probably have kids ministry and you got youth ministry and you may have young adult ministry or college ministry. Depending on your church, you probably have, you might have a singles ministry. You might have a marriage ministry but you don't find too much for grandparent ministry or retired person's ministry, do you?
3: Well, certainly not grandparent ministries that address the role of the grandparents within the family. And that's one of the passions of our ministry. We want to see that started. Uh, We don't want to just see senior adult ministry in churches, which has its value but we want to see ministries that focus on the role of a grandparent because we believe that grandparents can have such a huge impact within their families and on the youngest generations of them following Christ and so and of course we see christmas as an as a such an opportune time to influence the youngest generations
2: so you're uh, if mean, you're thinking of a a grandparent who might be going to Visit their grandkids, and I know some cases like this, some people that we know personally, where the there's different kinds of issues that people face. But in a couple of yeah. cases, we've been thinking of is the the grandparent, the children have walked away from the Lord, and they're not always appreciative of you know grandma coming in or grandpa coming in and talking about Jesus. Sometimes they they are totally opposed to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know how do you, if you find yourself in that role. Uh, how do you deal with that?
3: Well, f- first of all, you honor the parents' wishes. It's very, very important that, that grandparents understand that, that they're not the parent. Yeah. And they need to honor the parents' wishes. And if the parents say, don't talk about it, then don't talk about it. Make sure that you do that. If you do that, you're going to injure the relationship into the future for who knows how long. So don't do it. Don't talk about it. Uh, think a lot more about uh, about your your character, your um, your countenance, your body language, your smile, and be just as Christ-like as you can possibly be in in all of those things. And then pray hard that God's going to open the door. and And um, be be an instrument of grace to your family. Don't be don't be uh, um, uh, one that brings a conflict within the family.
2: Yeah. And that that happens a lot. I've seen some families where you do, you stop getting invited even to Christmas yes. or so, and you don't want to get yourself there. You don't no. want to do that. Um, you know, Larry, sometimes, though, there's uh, the opportunity and you have a good relationship with your grandkids, but you're not sure how to relate or how to even share your, your story or share Christ with them. What are some thoughts that you have about that?
3: Well, we've tried to come up with some creative ways to do that. And uh, let let me give a couple just real practical ideas here. Uh, One of the things that that we did to make it different and fun was we had a Christmas lights scavenger hunt. Hmm. And we piled our grandkids into the backseat of our pickup truck and we drove around the neighborhood. We had a whole list of things that you could find in people's front yards. And we had to find them all. And included in that were the words joy, um, a manger scene, a uh, baby Jesus. And we. so we included things that had to do with the real meaning of Christmas. And so we were driving around looking at all these things. And so we'd get to a house that had nothing at all about the the real meaning of Christmas. We'd ask our grandkids, so why do you think... They don't have anything about Jesus in their front yard. Or we would go to a house that did and say, so what, do you, what can you guess about this house from what's in the front yard? And it just became a, a teaching time. So those are the kinds of things that we can do, be creative, and, and bring out the Christmas story in a new way.
2: Yeah, I think that that kind of creativity is uh it's just a helpful thing, I think, you know, for a lot yeah. of people to do with that. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Larry Fowler. Larry is the founder of the Legacy Coalition. You can learn more at legacycoalition.com. And this is a grandparent ministry. It's not senior adult ministry. Like he said, this is grandparent ministry, and it's to help you continue to make disciples including with your grandkids or your kids or uh to, you know, I think, Larry, as a pastor for many years, you know, one of the gripes I get sometimes from uh, older folks is they feel like the only reason they're at the church is to pay the bills and write the checks, yes. and uh, they'll there might be a senior adult Sunday school class or something that they're a part of, and, and sometimes they'll stay in that, you know, until the end, um, but they feel like it's not very fulfilling uh, spiritually. And one of the things that you've been doing is helping people break out of that and helping uh, grandparents and churches and older folks break out of that mold.
3: Yes, and a few years ago I got a call from a pastor that was – he's actually at one of the very largest churches in America back in the East Coast. Uh, in the eastern part of the U.S., about 25,000 people in the congregation. And he said, I'm the pastor to the 65 to 75-year-olds, and uh, they've they've uh, all been to church for at least 20 years, so they think they've heard every sermon and every mission appeal, and I'm having trouble really motivating them for ministry. So somebody said I should call you. Why am I calling you? <laughs> and He didn't know anything at all. And I talked to him about the fact that grandparenting, a grandparenting ministry in the church, uh, is all about uh, reaching young people for Christ. It's just that we call the young people grandkids. Hmm. And when we do that, uh, there's a passion that raises up in people, and they get more engaged as, uh, as, as they possibly can. Uh, with our our ministry and with their own families.
2: It's so uh, refreshing when people do that. If you've got a question you want to ask, Larry, 888-528-2557 is the number you can call. And maybe you've got a question if you're a grandparent and you're going to connect with your grandkids uh, or you're wondering about that or you've got some obstacle maybe to that, you can give us a call, 888-528-2557. Maybe you are a grandkid and you'd like to figure out how to uh, reach your grandparents. Uh, 888-528-2557, Larry, and I can talk about that uh, as well, you know. I think that you know there's a change that's happened the last I don't know a couple of decades, really, a few decades. But people live a lot longer, you know. So in my church, yes. we had a group. It was the 55 plus club, right? And when I got yeah. there, everybody was 75 plus, and they were very grumpy that they couldn't get anybody to show up who was 60. And I said, it's because everybody who's 60 still has a job. And by the way, they're still working when they're 65, maybe 70. They're still working or even older. And But that's new. The reason it's the 55 plus club is because people retired and they didn't live so long. But now people live a long time.
3: Yes. And, and uh, frankly, they don't want to be associated with the old people. I don't, I mean, I'm 71, but I still don't want to be a part of that old people's class in my church, you know? Right. (laughs) And I just, uh, I just feel that I'm younger than that and I don't think I'm alone in that. That's why it's really helpful to focus on the family relationship, the family dynamic and what we can do there. It's biblical for us to pass on our faith to our grandchildren the bible talks about that and so we want to equip and envision christian grandparents for how important it is for them to come alongside their adult children and and be an influence a spiritual influence in the lives of their grandkids and you know if you're a, if you're a parent out there and you're not a grandparent you're listening to this i would encourage you to have a conversation with your parents the grandparents about how they might engage with you better in spiritual things and passing on faith to your grandkids, to their grandkids, to your kids.
2: You know, as we look at our culture today and the decline that we're seeing, the serious disconnect generationally that we're seeing on the news about all kinds of issues right now, uh, domestically, things about the world and uh, all of that, you know, I think that a lot of people ask, what can I do about that? Well, one of the things that the church has always done about that is we pass on our faith. We make disciples. And uh, have we gotten away from that?
3: Oh, well, to, certainly to a, to a big extent. I, I just don't think that people are in church enough, especially children. They're not in church enough in order for the church to be a significant discipler in their lives. If parents and grandparents don't get involved, uh, we're going to raise a, a young generation that, that really is not discipled in the things of the Lord. Yeah. And the, the reason I say that, the average family, the average church-going family, according to research in children's ministry, attends church twice a year. Right. I mean, twice a month, twice, yeah, a, twice month. a month. Uh, twice a month. So what that means is over the course of a year, they're in church a, a total of about 25 hours a year. Maybe not that much. Maybe it's 20. Mm-hmm. How do you disciple somebody in effectively in 20 hours a year? So the church can't do it because the kids aren't there enough. And that's why parents and grandparents have to step in and be involved.
2: And that's the role that we all should have as parents and grandparents, as followers of Jesus, that the church isn't the building on Sunday that you're there for a couple hours. The church is us. Yes. And you don't stop yes. being the church just because you're uh, in the old folks class.
3: Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And, and in fact, uh, um, focusing on the grandparent role is a great benefit to the pastor that says, you know what? We need to reach families in our church. We need to reach the young people. If we don't do that, our church is going to die. And they are exactly right. If they don't do those things, then they don't reach young people. Well, how do you engage the older people with that kind of a vision? Here's how you do it. You talk about grandkids Mm. because they all love their grandkids.
2: It changes the conversation because then it becomes less about what what I want for my church experience to what do my grandkids need for their church experience to be a part of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, You wrote a book called My Wish of All Wishes, and uh, that's something that can be pre-ordered now. Tell us about this book and how we can get it.
3: Well, it's a children's book, and I want to say – Uh, We're just praying that many grandparents will find it and and that they will consider it as a Christmas gift even this Christmas. Uh, I've had a passion. I said it at the beginning that just drives me that I want to see my grandkids in heaven with me, and I wanted to put that in a book form that grandparents could express to their grandchildren if they have the same sentiment. So that's what it that's it's called my wish of all wishes. And what's my wish of all wishes? My grandkids will be in heaven with me. So I wrote a Doctor Zeus style. It's rhyming. It's fun, uh, and uh, and at the end, uh, that's the that's the focus of the book is for the grandparent to say to their grandchildren, "I want you in heaven with me."
2: You know that's and a... that's
3: my wish of all wishes.
2: And, you know, it's a fun book, a fun little book, and, you know, one of the fun things about being a parent or a grandparent is you get to read to the grandkids, especially when they're – I don't know if you sit down and read it with your 28-year-old. Do you do that? Yeah. You you know what? I'm going to
3: do that. (laughs) I'm going to do that because – you know they can tolerate the fact that it's a it's a children's book. Yeah. Because it expresses my heart. So absolutely, I'm I'm going to do it with my my older grandkids too. So
2: so that's a neat thing. So how do people get this book? Maybe it's a good book. It's coming. Will it be in time for Christmas or is it something that'll be after yes. Christmas? So yep. if, if they order now, be, they they'll be able to, to get
3: it. Legacycoalition.com slash wish. W i s h Legacycoalition.com dot com wish and if you order before next tuesday night you get shipping free there's a code on that website that enables you to 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 get the shipping free so um it's it's going to be i believe a great tool for grandparents to be able to express their desire for their grandkids to be in heaven with them. And of course, it shares the gospel as part of that process.
2: All right. That website is LegacyCoalition.com slash wish. And uh, you can check out that book called My Wish of All Wishes by Larry Fowler. I think it's a great idea for a Christmas gift. And if you're a grandparent, or maybe you're just thinking of your parents or uh, your kids and you're interested in grandparent ministry, LegacyCoalition.com. A lot of great stuff on there. I want you to check that out, LegacyCoalition.com. You get the book at Legacycoalition.com slash last wish. Larry Fowler, thanks for being with us today on The Pastor Scott Show.
3: You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me.
2: All right. God bless you, and I will talk with you soon. This is The Pastor Scott Show. You can follow us at Pastor Scott Show on Facebook, X, and Instagram. You can also get the podcast of this in any hour of the show. Just look for The Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcasts, and click subscribe or follow, and you'll never miss a show. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition of The Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.
4: Lisa, those changes come as holiday tree lightings like this one have been the target of demonstrations across the country and some of those demonstrations have turned into disruptions. We know at least one group planned to come here to protest, to rally, to confront Governor Gavin Newsom to call for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Those groups knew that the governor would be here originally tonight because the capital permit calendar showed that this event was happening originally tonight up until about late last week. So while the ceremony, the tree lighting Ceremony isn't happening tonight An estimated about 300 person protest Will still go on So Governor Gavin Newsom's office about an hour ago Sent out an advisory saying This year's ceremony will still technically Go on but it will be pre-recorded And streamed on his social media platforms Tomorrow night In a statement a spokesperson for the governor's office Said in part as we continue to see Protests across the country impacting The safety of events of all scales And for the safety and security of all Participating members and guests including children Children and families, the ceremony will be virtual.
2: So, that was a report about the California Christmas tree lighting ceremony at the Capitol, canceled. Because they're worried apparently about uh violence because of a uh pro-Palestinian, I guess, uh protest going on. This has been happening at tree lighting ceremonies across the country and you know, in some places it you know it got pretty violent at New York's, but they moved it away and still had the ceremony. That's what I don't understand, with the, the protesting. Can't you move it farther down the street so that people can hear the the chants or whatever, but doesn't interrupt the ceremony. Anyway, this whole kind of thing, the fact that we are letting any of this cancel, you know, special holiday things. Now, I don't don't know that there's a spiritual, you know, a Christian significance to the California tree lighting ceremony. All right. So, in fact, I'll bet that most of us have never even seen that. And I certainly don't tune into it, you know, on a regular basis. Not such a big deal, not like the Rockefeller Center or the White House one or some others that you might watch on television. You probably didn't even know this was happening. But it is interesting to me, notable, I would say, maybe is the better word, that we let these things get canceled. that And that, you know, this this is the reason. It isn't just because there's some protests going on. There's a lot of protests that go on for different things. It's because they're afraid of... Potential violence at a Sacramento Christmas tree lighting program?
4: In a statement, a spokesperson for the governor's office said, in part, as we continue to see protests across the country impacting the safety of events of all scales and for the safety and security of all participating members and guests, including children and families, the ceremony will be virtual.
2: Well, that could be more to it. And uh, I guess the ceremony's on today. I'll bet nobody's really watching that either. Are you watching that? Have you ever watched the Sacramento Christmas tree lighting ceremony, uh, Wilbert? Not at all. Did you even know we did that? Uh, I had no clue. (laughs) I guess it makes sense, you know, that uh, that that occurs. Um, You know, it's so, um, it's... (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's a lovely event. I just have never heard of it. Yeah, it's probably a thing. They probably have a choir, and they sing some songs, and, the, and uh, Governor Newsom comes out and, uh, you know, <laughs> does whatever he can do to try to pretend he's not running for president. Does he smile like he did at the uh, debate? He probably does. He says something about that. But, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it that we canceled the event. And I don't mean that as a – you know somebody makes that decision, but I don't like it that we feel like we have to cancel – Family events or events that really do build unity you know, you may not believe in Jesus and you might see christmas as purely secular um maybe you don't even celebrate it at all cuz you have a different faith or a different tradition but most people are somehow connected to christmas at some point at christmas we come together and we have aspirations of peace on earth and goodwill toward men and we want to at least say the the platitudes about that and for christians we believe that that's true it comes because of the savior i think for if you're not a Christian and you're listening, you probably still like that notion, right? You you want peace on earth, goodwill toward men, peace, hope, joy, love, those things, those messages at Christmas time, the songs, the the lights, all of this stuff is positive. It's a positive thing for our culture to come together and do stuff like this. And I don't like it that somebody having a protest about something can cancel that I'm not saying don't protest if you got an issue you want to protest about. I'm all for people protesting. Um, I'm all for people protesting nonviolently. I'm not for people protesting and saying that uh, you can go ahead and have uh, genocide and kill the Jews, which apparently you can do at Harvard and our other best universities, as we learned yesterday. Um, not for that. Uh, but I'm not for letting these things wreck these kinds of ceremonies. And I don't. You know, I don't know. There might be other details. Maybe there's a specific terrorist threat they're not going to tell us about, right? Sometimes there's things that we just aren't going to find out about. But it bugs me. It bugs me that so easily we will close this off. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven is the number. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Pastor Scott Show. Ted in L.A. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
5: God, Ted, City of Angels. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah, this topic of what they've done, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they attack Israel on a holiday, uh, a Jewish holiday?
2: Well, they, yeah, it uh, happened on, uh, I'm forgetting which one it was, but yeah, uh, and that was on purpose, you know.
5: Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and I, my point being, Pastor Scott, is uh, uh, at least at least they're consistent. Now, now they're attacking Christianity here on our own land. And it just proves that they're a terrorist. Anybody well, that would attack somebody on their holiday is a terrorist.
2: Well, I don't know that these protesters necessarily were planning to attack, you know, mm-hmm. it, or to that they were the organizers. You know, I don't really know. But what I'm finding remarkable, and I certainly don't want to say that what they're doing is the same as what Hamas did on that day. It's not. You know, they're not. Mm-hmm. In all these even in what happened in New York, there were some scuffles with police and some a lot of chanting and shouting and they were shouting terrible things and genocidal, you know, statements. But nobody was murdered, nobody was raped, it was not anything related to that. I wanna be real clear that's not the same. What's what's kind of bothering me here, Ted, is that how easily from a protest that we don't really know what was gonna happen unless we maybe secretly do, uh, that we canceled the whole ceremony. Why not just Move the protests down the street. There's there's legal ways that you can maintain people's right to demonstrate and still not cancel your your Christmas program. I don't like that at all.
5: Well, also, Pastor Scott, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to document who is making these complaints, to take pictures of them, make documentations. It's a perfect FBI setup. Let them all show up, and then we'll just uh, put your mugshot on yeah. a big sheet. They do at the police department well,
2: and say, you know? Yeah, well, Ted, I want to be careful here because I still don't, you know, people might be showing up and genuinely peacefully protesting and not breaking any laws and not doing anything bad. You know, kind of what I'm getting at here is why, because of a supposed threat of that why did we feel like we should cancel the ceremony maybe nobody goes to the ceremony and they've been dying to cancel it anyway right and now they have an excuse something like that ted i appreciate your your call and listening to the pastor scott show 888-528-2557 is the number 888-528-2557 the the warning about potential violence which i don't know if they really had something specific or if it's just the idea but part of that is because when you are chanting things that are calling for the murder of other people. Um, it does cross a line in my opinion, but apparently it does not cross the line according to some of our university presidents. This is a questioning that went on yesterday um, on Capitol Hill from university presidents at Harvard and Penn and uh, MIT.
6: Dr. Cornbluth, yes. does M- at MIT does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment. Yes or no. If targeted at individuals, not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, uh, as harassment, if pervasive and severe.
2: So what you're hearing here is questioning. Now, this has moved beyond the issues uh, related specifically to the Israel-Hamas war. This has to do with the chants that have been very explicit in some places, kill the Jews or gas the Jews. Otherwise, they are chants like that mean that, that. There's been plenty of time now to understand that. Chance about you know from the river to the sea and those things and and are um anti-semitic and about murdering jews so now what's happening is uh, at least stefanik is actually just being very specific trying to get um these university presidents to specifically say that threatening genocide threatening to murder jews um is something that should get you in violation of your campus's policies against bullying or harassment. Seems to me that if you are and, you know chanting, uh, let's kill all the Jews, that there's no context where that is okay.
6: Ms. McGill at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes.
2: So if the speech turns into conduct, meaning if I commit genocide, then I guess I might be called into an administrative hearing. But if I just threaten to kill you, then uh, it's uh, okay.
6: I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. Yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. A- There's
2: that word again, context. And you heard this from every one of the university presidents. A
6: context-dependent decision, that's your testimony today, calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill.
2: The White House responded to this. It's such a huge controversy from these presidents. The White House actually said that they can't believe, this is what they said, it's unbelievable that this needs to be said. Calls for genocide are monstrous and antithetical to everything we represent as a country, White House spokesperson Andrew Bates said. Any statements that advocate for the systemic murder of Jews is dangerous and revolting, and we should stand firmly against them. That's the, uh, that's the White House. That is incredible that that has to even be said. That's where we are today. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.
1: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Pastor Scott Show. Final segment today, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. Uh, big announcement that happened today. Time Magazine named its Person of the Year. Now, maybe the first surprising thing to you is that Time Magazine is still a magazine. That's always surprising to me that that's still around. Uh, I was Time Magazine Person of the Year in 2006. Did you know that, Wilbert? Did you guys know that uh, I was the uh, Person of the Year in 2006? It's true. You guys can look it up. And, uh, you know, if they're going to make me Person of the Year, I guess they can make anybody Person of the Year. If you don't know about this, who would you say is the uh, the person of 2023. Crazy year, right? Lots of stuff going on uh, this year. And uh, here's a list of some of the people that they considered for person of the year. Uh, they always consider the president and vice president. So uh, Biden and Harris, okay. But uh, usually you get that as president or vice president when you get elected. So they were uh, 2020 person of the year. I mean, okay, became the president. Um, But in the off years, you know, it's usually people who are a big part of the news, not necessarily positive people. Right. The person of the year um, might be somebody who did terrible things. You know, I think Osama bin Laden was the uh, person of the year one time. Um, And, uh, you know, sometimes it's people who are nefarious for something, but they impacted the news uh, in such a way that year that when history looks back on that year, this used to be a more serious thing. It's just not anymore. Uh here's some of the people that they uh, suggested. Uh Hollywood strikers. Yeah I don't know that that's really impactful in such a way, but that was a big deal, Uh, particularly in Southern California. That was a big deal. Um, Maybe more related to that and a person who it would have been better is Sam Altman. You know who that guy is? Sam Altman is the guy who's the CEO of OpenAI, the company that released ChatGPT, which has really launched the AI, the artificial intelligence uh, stuff that's going on. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good person right there because honestly, the person, if you're going to have an individual who probably impacted the world more than anything this year, it might be that guy or that, you know, really AI is what it is. But he was not chosen, not him. Uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, I don't know, maybe, he, you know, that war's still going on. I'm not sure that it was a big impact this year. King Charles III? Okay, you know, I'm not sure impactful, but it was a global story. It was a big story of 2023. Uh, That could have been it. uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, um, probably a good choice, right? Very influential this year uh, into his uh, third term of a life term. I thought he had a life term. I guess they still count the terms, but uh, he'll be there forever. And, uh, you know, I think that would have been an interesting article, kind of hard-hitting news and what people think about that. Um, Who is the person of the year? Taylor Swift. You know, there she is, Taylor Swift. She's the uh, she's the first entertainer ever to win, and I don't I don't have any problem with Taylor Swift, right? I don't mean that at all. I met Taylor Swift one time. This is the story that I tell when I used to go to like the youth group, and everybody get all excited that I met Taylor Swift. I met Taylor Swift at Dodger Stadium, and uh, she was this she was very young, very brand new in her career. And uh, everybody's rocking out to that song. You you can't you can't miss that song. This,
0: Sorry, I'm just trying to get the rub on our podcast later.
2: I'm just gonna. I want there. I want her to have the same energy that she brought to the Kansas City Chiefs to the Pastor Scott show. Exactly. That's what we we should have merchandise. Then at this point, uh, maybe we can get Taylor Swift on the show. Since I met her and I helped her. Yes. See, she was. So I don't, I, she was very young when she started out, and I used to go with a bunch of guys to opening day at Dodger Stadium every year. We did it for 14 years in a row, and we'd still be doing that except for the fact that we all had kids and were tired. And uh, it just – when you have babies at home, it just doesn't really work, especially when they're brand new, and I didn't want to say to my wife, hey, I'm going off to the game. Um, but it opening day at Dodger Stadium, which is fantastic, they usually or often would have a musical act. Uh, somebody who is either kind of past their prime a little bit, or somebody who is on their way up, and so I got to see a lot of people in that. A lot of fun. Well, one year it was Taylor Swift, and she was still a country artist then and pretty young. And this particular year, we were sitting in the the right field pavilion. Okay, the bleachers out there in right field, uh, which were I think at the in those days it was the all you can eat pavilion. Is it still the all you can eat pavilion, or did they get rid of that?
0: I think certain sections, yes.
2: Like it used to be used to be able to sit out there for five dollars and they didn't even sell alcohol out there because it was rowdy, too rowdy already.
0: I don't think it's five dollars anymore.
2: No, (laughs) no. And I think the way they got around that is they went to the all you can eat is like forty dollars. But you could have as many Dodger dogs or whatever as you want. So that's where we, we sat out there and i see her and i knew who she was cuz i was into uh country music oddly enough at the time and uh so i knew exactly who she was and i knew that she was doing the song so i went over to her and i said hey are you doing and she says well i'm a little lost and i said yeah Uh, Where are you supposed to be? And she said, well, they said I'm supposed to meet in center field. And, you know, in between the if you haven't really been to Dodger Stadium in between left and right field where the seats are is an open area. Now it's a little kids play area. But back then it was a staging area for whatever act they might have coming on. And I said, well, you're supposed to be, because I'd been there at all these opening days, I said, well, you're supposed to be in uh, in between, in like dead center field, and you're really in right field. And she said, well, I'm not really sure where to go. So then I endeavored to figure out where Taylor Swift can go so I could save the show. I might have even saved her whole career. She may not even be the person of the year had we not had this conversation. And I directed her over to a door. There's a door that kind of goes into that center field area. That's unmarked. It's just a door, obviously a door. We started to walk over there, and sure enough, her manager or somebody came out the door and found her and brought her in there. But I think I could take credit for her career. I think Wilbert, I want you to see if Taylor will come on our show, and uh, we'll talk about see if she even remembers that. <laughs> anyway, she's the uh, the person of the year. We might as well have a have a entertainer be person of the year. Does that count? What
0: was that? Does that count as her being on the show? (laughs) I think that's the
4: closest. I bet we
2: can find an AI version of Taylor Swift and get her on the show. See, I don't think there's anybody who uh, we could not at some point figure out how to get on the show. We'll make that a a a a goal. I'm not even sure what the reason is. We'll ask her, you know, uh, did you ever go to church? What, you know, what's your thoughts about that? It could be an interesting conversation, right? She could have a lot more influence, I suppose, in a good way. Maybe it's not in really a great way. I'm not really, I don't follow her good enough to know. Anyway, Time Magazine, which is surprisingly still a magazine, made her the person of the year and, uh, you know, nothing against her, but it's not really serious news. It's not. Did you look up that I was the 2006 person of the year? Am I right? You're right. Yep. See, uh, you can check it out, 2006 Person of the Year. In fact, I used to have that, I think, on my resume and LinkedIn, that I was the 2006 Time Magazine Person of the Year.
4: It's crazy. We're co-persons of the year.
2: You're also the Person of the Year. That's correct. I think you, you know, I don't want you to, like, update your resume. I'm not saying that. But you could, like, stick that on your LinkedIn or something. In fact, maybe I should do that. (laughs) I think I used to have it on there. I might have taken it off. Maybe it's time to put that back in there. Uh, and everybody, you can look that up. You, too, were the uh, – if you were alive, you, too, were the 2006 Person of the Year uh, for uh, Time magazine, which, oddly enough, is still a magazine. Which I, it's hard for me to get over that. 888 uh, 528 is the number. We just have a couple of minutes left. It's just, you know, our priorities in our country. And once again, this is not against Taylor Swift or music or any of that. Um, but the world is in a serious place. And really the person of every year is is Jesus. And I know that sounds like a corny Christian thing to say, um, but that is the fact of history. And if you need evidence of that, the person of the year always has a year after it. I was the 2006 person of the year and Taylor Swift is 2023 person of the year. And they've given that award to uh, lots of people in uh, different ways. There's always somebody who's the person of the year. there has been a couple of persons of the year once in a while. Um, But you know, the year 2023, what is that year? What does that mean? You know, it is meant to reflect how many years since the birth of Jesus 2023. It's off, you know, by a couple of years, but whenever they put that together, they, they didn't quite have the ability to nail that down, but they got pretty close. But whatever it is, what they meant by it is, okay, with the birth of Jesus, we're gonna, we're gonna count our years now, and all of the world does this moving forward, and I know that the you know Chinese keeps their, their years and there's the Jewish calendars, some other calendars but the way the world actually operates is that this is 2023 years uh, AD, Anno Domini in the year of our Lord I know we changed that to a current era but everybody knows that's garbage and then before that so from zero, there's not a year zero did you know that? That'll throw you off if you're trying to calculate things From one to 2023, uh, that's the amount of years approximately since the birth of Christ. And the way we're going to count history is before that, we're going to count everything as before Christ. We used to say BC, right? Now we say before Christ, that's what it means. It's BCE now, right? Before the current era, but everybody knows it's before. If you go find old documents, they all say before Christ. Everybody knows that's what it means. And see, built into our system, built into your calendar on your phone, your calendar on the wall, is a year. And that year represents Jesus Christ because he's the man of the year every year. Every year belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. And there's great comfort in that. Because he's the savior, because he loves you. He's inviting you into his family. The reason you cannot help but celebrate his birth or acknowledge his birth uh, every time you open up your calendar, not even just at Christmas time, but every time you put something in your calendar, every time you get you pull the date off of your – I saw a Far Side calendar in the Costco the other day. I'm surprised they still have that. I love the Farside. I wish they'd bring that back. Uh, but the calendars are still there, probably the same old jokes. Uh, every time you change the calendar, every time you look at it, every time you look at the date, every time you sign a check, every time you date a contract, you're acknowledging the birth of Christ and how long ago that was. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus won the whole dating thing, or, you know, not dating like he was going on on dates. I don't mean that. <clears throat> not one of those. Uh, he won the calendar. He's the man of the year every year. He just is. And at Christmas time, uh, we get to uh, be reminded of that in extra special ways. So I hope that you've got some good plans uh, for that coming up. And I hope that you take care of everything related to that. All right. This is the Pastor Scott Show. And we are on every day from three to five. And I invite you to check out the podcast if you ever miss an hour of the show. Just look for the Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcast. Click subscribe. And I invite you to invite your friends to that. And, uh, send them an hour that you'd like. And you can follow me right now on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and X at Pastor Scott Show, at Pastor Scott Show. Everybody, I'll see you tomorrow from three to five. Have a good night. God bless.